Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late El Emanuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. In the next several episodes, Ella Manuel pictures some of the splendid older men she came to know in Bombay. Some she identified fully, but even those described only by a first name, real or fictitious, might still be recognized by those old enough to remember. The first of her uncles was well known in Woody Point many years ago. He was an argumentative old man who made life difficult for his son by insisting on doing what he wanted to and not what he should. This fourth of seven stories about her friends and neighbors tells of cantankerous Uncle George. One summer morning I woke early. Not a wisp of smoke from the village chimneys, not a person stirring. The bay was like a mirror, and it was hard to tell where Uncle George's story ended and its reflection began. Even Uncle George himself was still, oars poised in mid-air. Then he spied me coming down the path to the wharf, and he dipped his oars with a mighty pull, sliding to the wharf and tossing me the painter. He hopped across the stage head, arms loaded with half-dry cod, hopped back in the stage and out again with three delicious purple plums in his wizened little hand. He gave them to me, calling me, Sir. Beautiful morning, Uncle George. What's left of it? he growled. I could see that he was put out about something for all his showing off. He didn't even glance at me. Get a lot of fish this morning, I asked. Well, look for yourself. Hardly none at all. Though the dory was writhing with cod and mackerel. Never got up till half past four this morning. Overslept myself, that's what I done. And dat Fred, he wouldn't wake me if the governor hisself was coming. He sat on the thwart seat, his gnarled hands between his bony knees, his rummy eyes now turned to me. Dat Fred, he mumbled almost savagely. Fred was the old man's son with whom he lived down in the cove. We liked him, but the old man said he was lazy and he was afraid of the old man's wrath. Lazy enough to sleep till six o'clock every morning. And you know what he done last week? Uncle George grumbled on. That day we had the Southeaster. Come after me in the powerboat. He spat in disgust. Well, you did break your promise, Uncle George. You said you wouldn't go outside the point. It was a living gale in here, and we were worried about you out there alone. I could have told Uncle George that I was one of those who urged Fred, much against his better judgment, to launch the big dory with the seven-horsepower engine that Uncle George called the powerboat. I could have told him, but I didn't, for I would lean over to the point of falling on the back of my head to keep in the old man's good books. Uncle George snorted. Living gale, me eye. I seen worse weather than that many's the time. Sides, it's me own business if I wants to get drowned. I guess I'm old enough to know me own mind. Well, if I'd reached my nineties like you, I'd want to die in my bed, I agreed. I'll die when and wherever I feels like it, he retorted. And with a sly look, he added, I got something to tell you. Only you got to promise you won't blab to Fred nor nobody. I wants to tell him myself when I gets around to it. Whatever it is, I thought, sure to be something to put Fred out of sorts. I promised to hold my tongue. 
and Uncle George, all ninety pounds of him, scrambled up over the slimy logs as nimble as a ten-year-old, and sat beside me, his sticks of legs dangling over the wharf. "'Well, that day at the sou'easter, I wasn't fishing.' He peered to see the effect this announcement had on me, and satisfied with my startled expression, he continued, "'No, sir. Leastwise not for cod. I was catching pulp logs.' I gulped, took in a deep breath, and said, "'Do you mean to tell me you were out there in that gale in your small dory "'hauling those great wet logs into your boat?' "'Ah, t'was too good a chance to miss. "'See, I figured out night before when I went to bed "'that the wind was coming up, "'and I knowed that the bow-water tug was hauling down shore with a boom. "'I knowed the seas would drive them logs over the boom and float them in shore. "'So I just got up before anyone else, and I picked up, "'oh, must have been a cord, and stacked them all behind a big rock on the beach down below the pint.' Wait till Fred sees him. He'll be fit to bust. Uncle George, I said, you're absolutely crazy. Anyhow, I don't believe it. You couldn't pick up that much waterlogged wood, slimy and all as it is, and then stack it on the shore. I'll write for you, then, if you don't believe me. I'll never tell you nothing no more, he said gloomily. But listen to me a minute, I begged. If anything happened to you when you were out there all alone, we'd never forgive ourselves. Think how bad we'd feel if you got drowned. "'Wouldn't bother me none how you'd feel if I was drowned,' he said, and lowered himself with a swift motion into his boat. He tossed to my feet a small cod and said, "'Go on home now and cook that up for breakfast. I got to stay here till eight o'clock till Ned and them gets up. Can't have them breaking the law on account of me.' That was Uncle George. You never knew what was coming next. First the pulp logs, now the law.' Later that day I asked Ned and them, as Uncle George called the family who ran the restaurant on the waterfront, what's, th what's this about him and you and the law? Ned laughed. <laughs> it's just a small lie we made up so as the old man wouldn't get us out of bed before sunrise to buy his fish. We didn't want to hurt his feelings, and you know how it is with us working till midnight, so we told him there was a new law out saying we couldn't buy or sell anything till eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and did he believe you? Oh, yeah, I dare say it's hard on him, having to sit around for an hour or more, but it's the only time of day he does sit, so a spell won't hurt him. Well, that was true enough. At ninety-three in a few months, Uncle George spent every waking hour on the move. I had never seen him walk, only propel himself with a peculiar half-run, half-hop that covered a lot of ground without visibly tiring him. I goes to bed every night, eight o'clock sharp, he said. Fred once remarked, he wouldn't care if the Queen of England came to visit him. He'd just say, excuse me, good night, and off he'd go. Occasionally, after his work was done and before his bedtime, Uncle George would turn up at the restaurant where every evening we'd congregate for a beer and a chat. He'd hop inside and sit at the nearest table, and if he were in a proper mood, he would talk. One evening, when Uncle George was in a good mood, we were talking about Sally's Cove, and I had just remarked that nobody had ever told me about the food floating ashore, the grub that Henry had said come ashore all down the coast back in the war. You remember that, Uncle George? Ned said. Well, just guess I do. Got a bit of it myself. You see, during the Second World War, when Liberty ships loaded to the gunnels were carrying food from North America to Europe, they often went through the Straits of Belle Isle that separates the island from Labrador. One night, in a bad storm, a Liberty ship broke in two pieces on the rock and spilled her cargo into the sea. She broke right abroad in the middle, the way I heard it, said Uncle George, and then the windered round blew straight in on the coast. Well, sir, she was loaded with all manner of stuff, and we got the most of it. 
oranges, apples, ams, flour, oh, and some great big tubs of dried powder. My lard, that marmalade, somebody interrupted. See, we didn't know twas marmalade, so we didn't know what to do with it, and we... Stop interrupting, said Uncle George. Let me tell it my own way. After all, twas me who found it. We quietened down. Well, you see, I was out jigging that morning, when all of a sudden I sees this stuff floating down on me. I just sat there and gaped. I never seen nothing so queer. Well, by and by, I seen twas oranges. And so I held with me dip net and in with the stuff till I could hardly move me arms. And I had nowhere to put me feet. The door was so full, and still twas coming. He paused for a swallow of beer, wiped his mouth, and looked around. We were still quiet. Well, then, I come ashore and told all hands. So we all went out, remember? We hauled in oranges and apples. Wonderful sweet and soft they were. And then we'd get a boatload and we'd go ashore and stow it and off we go again. We got a tub of lard and a few hams and I got a barrel of flour all by myself. Well, surely that was no good to eat, I asked. And why not? Once you got to the dry part inside, twas wonderful nice flour. Of course, outside round the barrel stave, twas proper barm. That was the common word for a fermented mixture used to rise dough. And all this time, Uncle George said, people down the shore were walking on oranges and apples, nowhere else to put their feet. They, too, stowed as much food as they could find room for. And what about the marmalade, I inquired. Oh, yes, the marmalade. Well, we cooked that stuff every which way. Mind you, we didn't know what it was then. And when it was cooked, twouldn't fit to eat, so we gave it to the pigs. That's the fall you should have been here, my dear. Our pork was as sweet as figgy duff. Anyhow, we ended up soaking the stuff in tubs and tubs of water. It swole up something wonderful, so we cooked it, and twas perfect. Dehydrated marmalade, I exclaimed. Sure, and many of us lived a good part of that winter on what we sove out of that wreck. After Uncle George had gone home, a friend who was visiting me said to nobody in particular, Too bad the old man has to work so hard. Ah, I thought he had a son. Can't he support the old boy? Oh, Fred can, said Ned, but he isn't able to because the old man won't let him. The truth was that we thought poor Fred, not poor Uncle George. He was prevented from doing a duty which every Newfoundlander is brought up to believe his by divine right, that of expiating for all the wrongs we had done our parents by supporting them in their old age. Fred was truly in a dilemma. All he could do was attempt to circumvent the old man's wilder projects and look to us for sympathy and understanding. Stop the old man from fishing and he'd shrivel up like a dry worm, he said. But stop him from going into the woods alone, from climbing onto roofs and from rowing out alone in a gale, Fred could and generally did. Until the day he came to us and said, Ah, me father's bound and determined to tire the roof tomorrow. He's got the tire pot ready. What am I going to do in the name of the world? Well, one thing, said Ned after a pause, you could hide the ladder. He wouldn't have the nerve to borrow one because he'd have to tell what he wanted it for, and you know that nobody would lend him one for that. But where will I hide it so he won't ferret it out? Ah, chuck it up on the barn roof. He'll never find it there, said Ned. A few days later, while Uncle George was waiting in his dory so as not to break the law, he told me, Ha! Fool Fred this time. Thought he wouldn't find the ladder, did he? But I did. On the barn roof. Foolish frailer, Fred. He paused. Had an awful time getting the ladder down, though. I had to climb into hayloft, crawl out through the window, and hook the ladder down with a gaff hook. Tough as nails, Uncle George had climbed out onto the cottage roof and tarred it from stem to stern. 
And then one evening in the early autumn, when the seabirds were coming inshore and everyone was planning a trip out birding, Uncle George hopped into the restaurant, his beady eyes glittering. He pulled up a chair, ordered a beer, looked around the room and said, I suppose you heard what Fred done today. Nobody spoke as Uncle George peered at us, suspecting deceit. Mean to say you haven't heard? Well, I suppose I might as well tell you. And he took his jolly time at it. Seems Fred and the fisher boys went out birding in the dory this morning. They went out past the point and got a few, and then they decided to row further out the bay. Instead of emptying their guns, they just shoved them under the thwarts. One of the triggers caught a piece of dangling rope and shot Fred clear through the knee. He's over to the cottage hospital now with a great lump of cement on his leg, dried hard as the foundation of Ned's house. And that's the way Fred's going to bide for the next three months. Uncle George leaned back in his chair with an air of triumph. I bet he's some glad I got me door in me jigger, cause now he's got somebody to fish for him and earn a dollar. Do all the good fishing, says you? Well, I might be ninety-three, but I still got me two arms and me two legs, and I got a lot of go in me yet. And taking a large swig of beer, he said, I'm not foolish enough to shoot me own leg. Sadly, one night that June, my dear, cantankerous old Uncle George died, without pain, with only a day's illness, having the day before been chopping wood. His coffin was taken to the graveyard in his old dory, because that is what his son thought he would like. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late El Emanuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. And tune in to the next episode to hear about the inventive Shears family from Rocky Harbor.